Hello and welcome to the Lake Superior Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Brooks Johnson, and with me today is Duluth musician and author, Adam Herman. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Each month we bring you a reading from a local writer, followed by a talk about the craft. Local, if you aren't yourself, means northern Minnesota and Wisconsin. Last year, Adam released the book Limbo, an odd novel. Can you tell us about the book and read a selection? Yeah, sure. The book is uh, a very odd novel, uh, kind of about the a journey through the afterlife with some buddies. Um, kind of a rock and roll, you know, mushroom-consumed writer, hell-bent on uh, living the dream. Gets, uh, gets thrown into the midst of the afterlife, so it's kind of goofy. So, awesome. But this, uh, I'll read uh, the beginning of part two in the book, and it's kind of a take on Genesis from the Bible. So, um, An empty fish tank in your living room is about as useful as a fork and soup. God felt the same way about the universe. Heaven and hell had been created so long ago that God himself had easily grown bored with it. Engineering the universe was a labor of love, which was a godly way of saying it was a pain in the ass and didn't pay off much. There were so many issues to work out, and then once people got involved, it was like herding cats. This is actually why the Lord created cats. It was a passive-aggressive revenge of sorts. Why am I doing all this? The Lord would think to himself. These people don't listen. The creation process was usually pretty similar each time. First of all, like all the other worlds he built, there needed to be some sort of order. Balance was the key to creating an interesting world. He had built a couple worlds before Earth that were okay. One of the first worlds he built was a place that was pure and simple and righteous. It was great at first, but there was no drama, no excitement. In an effort to balance this out, he created another place that was the opposite. It was cold and full of dread and darkness. Again, it grew pretty boring. Creation, like most things, was best perfected by trial and error. So it began as a dark void of infinite possibility became heaven and hell. And then in a stroke of genius, bam, the Lord created balance. You're welcome. Next up, the Lord picked out a big empty rock hurtling through space. God thought to himself, this could be a fun world full of love and ambition. I could use this place to build creatures that have the same kind of love in their hearts as me. This could work. Then bam, earth, oceans, veggies, and all. You're welcome. Without an anchor, this newborn world would be just would just float around the ever-growing fabric of the universe. This felt unfair to all the people that would one day inhabit this world. They deserved a home in the universe, not to be some sort of interstellar hobo without a common sky throughout their lives. So the Lord placed this giant rock near one of his favorite stars and let it slowly circle it. However, during the movie, he accidentally smacked it against some debris, part of it split off. It ended up circling the rock and reflected the light of the star back onto it giving parts of the world a beautiful yet somber glow. God was pleasantly surprised with this and left it. He had a good feeling about it all, and before he stopped creating for the moment, he tossed some stars around and smiled. Bam! The sun and the moon and the stars were there. You're welcome. God came back after a while and took a look at this world. It was awesome. He was super psyched about how well it turned out and figured he would shake it up a bit. He was looking down from heaven when one of his favorite angels came up to him. Gabriel, what do you think of this place? The Lord asked. Looking good, big guns. What are you going to do next? Huge fucking lizards, dude. Gabriel nodded in agreement. Nice. That would be pretty badass. So the Lord headed down to earth and began his effort in populating the world with these giant lizards. He loved them. Life on earth was good for a while, and it looked like the Lord had found a place that he could put all of his love and joy onto. Bam! Dinosaurs. You're welcome. It was morning... It was morning time when Big Guns noticed someone walking through the forest on his new world. He looked down from his throne in heaven and noticed the leaves disintegrating as the figure strolled through. 
Son of a bitch, he thought to himself. He stood up from his throne and ran outside onto the golden roads of heaven. He knew exactly who it was. Lucifer, the asshole. He was just trying to get under his skin. God knew better, but he hated seeing this new world being soiled by that dickhead. Lucifer, the Lord bellowed from on high. The man stopped for a moment, then walked into a clearing and looked to the sky. Yes, mother, he said, fanning innocence. He was wearing a black robe and had long blonde hair. Is there a reason you are here? No one is allowed on this new world. Well, I just wanted to see what all the fuss was about. I heard you had these beautiful new creatures up here. I only wanted to see them. You need to leave, Satan. Lucifer hated that name, Satan. It just felt mean rolling off the tongue. At that, Lucifer looked up and responded, of course. He bowed his head and began to walk away. After a few steps, he stopped, looked up to the sky with a terrible smile before spitting on the ground and making an X in the dirt with his foot. He then continued on his journey. That night, there was a terrible storm on earth. The Lord was watching as his creatures were scurrying around, seeking shelter from the plentiful world they lived in. God knew that this was somehow Lucifer's doing, but decided to see how it played out. Out of nowhere, the sky split, and a giant meteorite flew through the atmosphere, crashed right into the very same spot that Lucifer had made an X in the ground. The sky was covered in debris, and the light couldn't shine through. The Lord watched with rage as many of his creatures died, although some of them survived and began to adapt to the new world around them. Many of them would never be seen again. He knew that Lucifer wanted to be in control, and he was worried that he may have to banish that fucker once and for all. He knew what he had to do next. He would create creatures that could act as currency. Spiritual economics was the only way to defeat this evil butthole. It was a new concept in the world. He would create souls. All the beauty and love and joy would be there for the picking. But it was up to these new creations to wade through the glutton and jealousy and fear that would hold them back. This would be the perfect creation, something that the Lord could love regardless of fault or failure. People. So then, bam, he created people, placed them in the Garden of Eden. You're welcome. And the Lord loved them in a perfect way. And as time progressed, the battle for souls became more and more intense, and both sides became very invested in the spiritual war. Gabriel was given control over the angelic army. Over time, the war escalated, and God knew one, and God had one more thing to create, a doorway between worlds. He knew that eventually the war would have to be fought on the very grounds that it had been created. So he sent his son Jesus to earth. What happened in those days were mostly lost in translation. People were easily corrupted and prone to distorting the truth for their own means. Especially when it comes to forgiveness, helping the less fortunate, and just generally being cool. A lot of J.C.'s story was edited and rearranged to serve the powerful and help further their agendas. In fact, 30 years of Jesus' life was completely omitted. No one even acknowledged his childhood comrade Biff, but that's a whole story in its own. After Jesus was betrayed and killed, his body was taken to a tomb. History tells us that his followers denied being on Team Jesus and that they got away without being brutally beaten and murdered like the patriarch. Then, days after his body being entombed, something happened. All of a sudden, every disciple who followed Jesus went public with their allegiance and with us brutally beaten and murdered. What could make someone change their minds and walk right into the lion's den like that? Well, Jesus came back to life and made them eat some proverbial crow. Jesus and his dad were looking down from heaven after his death. Well, crap, looks like I'm going to have to go back down there, Jesus said. Yep. Man, I really thought all those miracles and sermons would have stuck, God responded. I know, remember the Sermon on the Rock? The crowd was going wild. I really thought we had some serious momentum. Yeah, there were. I really don't know what went wrong. 
What about that guy they brought in through the roof? Remember that? Dude was paralyzed. The house was so packed full of people they couldn't fit him in. They had to lift him down with a bunch of ropes. And when I saw him, I was like, walk much? And then bam, smacked him in the ass. He got up and started partying. What more do these people want? I know it. I walked on water for my sake. I know it. Wine anyone? I know it. I won't even talk about the whole brutally beaten and murdered thing. I know it. I have holes in my hands now. Do you know how frustrating it is to shampoo these luscious locks? I can imagine. I have to go back down there? Yep, you're going to have to go back down there. Oh, Pops, I spent 30 years with those ungrateful fucks. Can I take a break? Ha, keep me posted when you're eternity years old, buddy, God said. But sure, take the weekend and relax. You can head back on Sunday. And on Sunday, the Lord created a gateway back to the world. Jesus used it to head back to the tomb he was buried in. The gateways and the caves ex existed all over earth. However, they were only allowed spiritual beings to use them as the doors they are. If a living creature went into the caves, they would be just those dark and rocky caverns that led into the depths of the earth. They're just big, scary holes to us simple human folk. But the caves are a complex and diverse system of transit. There are pathways to many places, heaven and hell, limbo, purgatory, Hades, Valhalla, Kansas, and Arkansas. To travel to the land of the dead, any cave would work, but without a map, it's a gamble on where you could end up. And there was only one map on earth, a homeless guy named Catfish Durham. And that's it. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, silly. Yeah. yeah. And it could kind of starts and continues like that, too. <laughs> it's just, just it's silly. It's a rollicking adventure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Well, uh, tell me how the book came together, you know, idea to writing to published work that sits in front of us. Well, I mean, uh, ten, you know, probably ten years ago is when I really started thinking about it, and it started off as an idea. I had played music in a band called James and the Devil in Colorado, which is where the band in the book, The Devil Wears Nada, that's kind of a yeah. goof on that, you know. But originally it was just a funny idea to write this story about, like, how the band came together and try and do something different than... You know, some way to market the music. But uh, as I kind of started writing it, I just put it away because I was like, oh, this is stupid. And it, there's parts still when I read it, like, oh, what was I thinking <laughs> in the very beginning, you know. But then I just kind of, it just kind of st stuck with me and, it, and all these funny jokes and and it just mirrored this this life of wanting, to, you know, the, the, just the Jack character in the book is very much like this. He wants so much more than what the world can offer him, you know, and that's... It's beautiful in a way, but it's it's more than just a uh, marketing ploy, I guess, for a band, you know. Sure. sure. <laughs> um, so ten years—that's that's a long time to sit on an idea. Um, yeah. You know, when did you really start sitting down and you know collecting everything you'd kind of been putting together? Well, I put—I wrote probably the first chapter in the book, you know, probably ten years ago. I was twenty-five, I know, and so, and then I just kind of stopped, and I. I'd, every now and then I'd pull it up and write I'd write like a chapter or an idea or something and then finally maybe five years ago I really just kind of like went through and edited and I was like oh there's really something there to it to have fun with and just redid it for the most part the first chapter is still almost verbatim like what I wrote like ten years ago which which is really funny because you get to the end of the book it's so much I think better written <laughs> you know but and I've, I've heard that from a lot of people that write like yeah once we get into about you know a quarter through the book, it really starts cooking. So that just, I think, speaks volumes to how I've learned how to write right. more. I mean, I'm not saying I'm great, but I've gotten better, you know. Yeah. Just by writing it. Just by writing, sure. Taking that taking that journey of, through, with your characters. Well, yeah, and taking it a little bit more serious and 
reading it out loud and making sure that it has a voice and not just like rambling, you know, because I can I can really ramble when I'm <laughs> when I'm going. So, sure, sure. Well, how did you? Uh, I guess how did you rein that in, and then how did you get it published? You know, what what were, what were the steps you took to get that? Well, my band, essentially, my band now, the Slamadors, published the book. We bought the ISBN numbers, and we just mm-hmm. kind of started a publishing company wow. because it was like we thought it'd be fun to maybe publish other people too if we liked it and try and do something in that realm. But that, I haven't even. We've been so busy with the music that I haven't even thought of that, you know. So I have like eight, because you have to buy them in bulk, I have like eight ISBN numbers I'm sitting on that I would love to work with other writers maybe and and try and do it, but that's maybe, (laughs) that's a future project. So essentially it is vanity published, it is self-published. I mean, I I did it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they kind of backed the money with me. Um, Yeah, I mean, I hired the editor and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, we tried to do it as professionally as we could right um, which means you know you're you're paying money to get it published yeah you know, you're putting yeah, money yeah. down not really you know, getting any royalties yeah anything, yeah you know? we definitely <laughs> put some money down on it and i i'm it's pretty cool that everybody kind of backed me on it but yeah definitely well i mean what was your experience with that i mean it had have you talked to someone who had been through it before i mean did um, someone guide you through it did you have like a yeah few? i have a, a friend in colorado sam newman who's written Four, I think he actually just released his fifth book, two memoirs and then three fictional novels, and he's been doing it, and he's probably my, he might be even be 34, 33, a few years younger than me, and he has been through it, and I've, I've gotten always reached out to him with questions on being an independent writer, and he was like, oh, don't do, you know, don't make this mistake, or, you know, he really treats it like his job, you know, I mean, he sits down, he wakes up and does it, and that's what I had to learn to really if you want to do it, I mean, it is a grind. You can't you can't write when you only find inspiration. Otherwise, you're just not going to write. You know, or you'll write for 20 minutes a day and then drink coffee and be a writer, which is awesome too. <laughs> yeah, the image of it, it's romantic. You know, sure, the ideas yeah, it's beautiful. We have about it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it told me how lonely it is just sitting there and like how easy you catch a cold because you're not around people. Yeah, you're just like. So it sounds like you learned to uh, to adapt to the writer's life. You know, what was your process like? I mean, what did you have a schedule? I mean, how did you um, approach yourself? I tried to have, so I try and, because I'm a musician too, that takes up a lot of my time. Um, so I tried to place it throughout the year. Like the summertime, I really, really had been working on my book, but I'm on the road so much mm. with the band. So now after, so now the last month to the end of the year, during holidays, I try and really focus on the writing that's what I did last year, too. I got a lot of it done in October, November, December, and just buckled down. I just went last week to um, Illinois and spent a week there where my family's from because the book is kind of like a fictionalized, the one I'm writing now, mm-hmm. version of that town, and just sat there for a week and just focused on it and wrote and went out to these places and wow. instead of trying to visualize it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that makes it more fun. Then you can kind of go to this with a purpose, you know? So I wake up, I... I I try to find inspiration. If I don't, I sit and read what I've done. And then oftentimes if I read what I've been writing, I'll find I'll start adding to it and it, it just kinda of flows. But yeah. find a place to pick up. Yeah. Oh, that's work, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is fun, but it is it is work. So Absolutely, yeah. Reflects in that brain. Yeah. Um so you're a songwriter and musician with the slamming doors. You know, how does how does songwriting compare to, to novel writing, to, to story writing? You know, how does, that's so different. Yeah. It really is. I I thought, and you, and I, I don't know if people can tell when they read this, but like people, like all these people that read it, <laughs> some people have read it, you know, but, uh, I can, I can tell when I read back on it, like even then when I was reading that, I haven't read that in a long time, but I like, I remember there were parts was like, I was writing music at this time. So I was trying to be 
the language is a little bit more poetic, right. and it's less like he did this, they did this, that you know, explaining things. Yeah. And then I can find going back into songwriting, like I don't know, I've thought about. I think it's really helped my songs yeah. going on since writing this. Mm-hmm. But I think being a songwriter hurts my writing in a novel. <laughs> If that makes any sense, it, it does a little bit because yeah. you're, you're trying to, you know, yeah. be, be broad and like sweeping, and you have to go right. on and on and on. Or I mean, song imagery is important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, it's oh, beautiful, but yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Um, so tell me about what you're working on now. Yeah, I'm writing. I'm writing a novel tentatively called Villa Layla, and it's um, about Theo Beckett as a character who's kind of an injured firefighter, can't work anymore, had a horrible relationship with his dad. Uh, the beginning of the book, his father passes away, and he's back in his hometown trying to clean clean up the house and everything, and never knew his mother. Just a really rough relationship, and uh, finds this old fishing pole that reminds him of this fishing hole that his dad used to go to that he was never allowed to go to, and finally he's just like in a big kind of middle finger to his father who passed it, decides to take the fish pole, go out to this secret spot, and he meets a talking catfish, and <laughs> it's just very goofy. The catfish gives him dating advice and all this stuff, but nice. there's kind of a mystery behind his father's death, and there's now this mo- this mysterious monster has come back from the river that has been gone for 30 years, and it's very goofy. Good, good, yeah. It's silly. How does Definitely. the tone? How does the tone compare then? To it's the similar to it. Yeah. It's a little bit darker because of the dealing. You know, you think a book about hell would be really dark, but this book is like bubblegum. <laughs> yeah. You know, and this the Villa Layla is like. I don't know, it's kind of dark because it's dealing with real real life issues mm-hmm. instead of like, you know, I don't know, the, the Hank the Demon Camel, you know, like all this stupid <laughs> stuff, you know. But Well, it's great as long as you're having fun with it. Yeah. It is fun, but it, I can tell, like, I do need to make sure that I'm, I am having fun because I can, I can get really dark into it and like, mm-hmm. talk about the sorrow of it and the sadness and, you know, I don't want to spoil it if one of, you know, one people wants to, one person wants to read it, but... There's some really beautiful stuff in it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, when you're writing, you're embodying your characters, and so you're embodying their soul. Yeah, so yeah. it can be a, kind yeah. of a rough time. Yeah. yeah, you try and really understand them, I think. And that's that's another thing I've, I learned with this one that maybe I didn't do so well with Limbo was you don't want to make characters that aren't like you cartoons, you know. Hmm. There's some African-American characters in Limbo that I was trying so hard to, like, Make it fun and make it funny and not be offensive, but yet try and you know what I mean. But you, you just don't want to. I'm a 30 year old white guy, like, mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. what do I know about being a transgender person or being any, any marginalized kind of people? And you don't want to offend people, but you do want to have fun, and I think that normalizes everybody. But right, you know, I can only go so far with <laughs> with owning it, right? Exactly, so, and then to you know, explore those take liberties, you know, yeah, yeah, without having them. That is the challenge of being an author of any kind. So yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. Who do you look up to? Who are your inspirations? Who got you into writing in the first place? Uh, Chris Moore. Christopher Moore was yeah. the first author that I really fell in love with when I was a high schooler. And I and I loved like John Steinbeck, Douglas Adams. It was just hilariously goofy. He'll take like a backstory from the beginning of time and bring it up to you know some something nonsensical. And I just love that whole, like, it's almost like a waste of your time joke kind of thing that he thinks is funny. <laughs> right. But Christopher Moore was really cool. I, I reached out to him actually with this because I wanted to quote him uh, from Lamb, 
mm-hmm. from the book Lamb. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, if you read yeah. that? No, I can I can see the inspiration. Yeah, oh yeah. for sure. <laughs> they even mentions Biff in there, and so I reached out to him and to his it's like publishing Penguin, I think it was. And he got back to me personally and was like super cool and talking about it. So I sent him the excerpt. I was like, this is all I want to do. I want to mention Biff. I don't want to be, I'm not trying to steal anything. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, that's hilarious. He's like, great. Use it. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. To personally get back to me, it was super cool. And so I sent him a copy of the book and like kind of corresponded since then. Just amazing. It's like one of my favorite hero writers, you know, like, oh yeah, so that (laughs) that was pretty cool. So that would, that would be the big one for me. And I don't know. I just read, um, Norm Macdonald's memoirs. Oh yeah, and it's. I just finished it like two days ago, and it's might maybe maybe one of been the funniest books I've ever read. It was just like a fictional memoir, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it reminds me he's like almost like a pulp writer in it. And it's so great. Wow, you know? yeah. <laughs> nice. So I like that. I liked Bukowski, that kind of pulp style that Bukowski wrote. So. Well, uh, what advice do you have for uh, kind of inspiring authors out there and people who want to kind of you know self-publish maybe and you know do do the same kind of stuff? Well, the world is so like. You really can. Anybody can publish anything, which kind of, kind of is. It's good and bad. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. But I don't know. My my advice. I I really only put this one out. I, I feel silly giving advice out. I'm not like this accomplished, you know, writer. But I but I I've worked, and I think that that's the key to it is working. Yeah. Treating it like a project and not a hobby. Because once it becomes a job, then it's like, then it sucks. Then it's no fun. Yeah. Then it's homework. Like projects, you can see it, and projects have an end. Yeah. That makes it more fun. So nice. If you can really graph it out and have a little timeline. Yeah, yeah. Set deadlines for yourself. And just do it. It takes 20 minutes. It, it takes 20 minutes to get into a flow. Yeah. You know? So people quit adding 20 minutes in. Like, well, you haven't even gotten into it yet. Just like working out. It's, working out sucks until about 20 minutes into it. And it still sucks, but a little bit less. Yeah, I was <laughs> so. gonna say like it's like running, and like it's like yeah. the first few miles are like horrible, and then you're like, oh, this is good. Yeah, this is why I do this. Yeah. First few miles, yeah, I can't even run a block. <laughs> I can drive a few miles. Right, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> well, uh, anything else you want to add about the book or about uh, anything? No, I I, 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 I appreciate the, the the community up here, Duluth, and, and uh, you know the the Twin Ports in general have been so supportive of of me and my book and music, and that. That's really like uh, I feel like this is more my hometown with my art than it is, you know, my other real hometown where I was born. So I really appreciate everybody that's been helping me. So one last question: What are you reading right now? I, I just started *The Denial of Death* by oh. Ernest Becker. Have you read that? No, I haven't. It's like it was written in like '76 or something. Mm-hmm. I've gotten a, maybe a chapter into it after the uh, preface, and, and it's just like wow, my mind was blown like three times into it. So. I don't know. It's one of those things where I don't want to read it before bed, you know, <laughs> right? Because I just, I won't. I don't know. Yeah, it'll but take it, yeah, I just finished the Norm Macdonald memoir a couple days ago and started reading this one. It's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. So, well, awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks, Adam Herman, for joining us. The yeah, thank is, you. Yeah, the book is Limbo, and you can find it at local stores and online. Yeah, big fox on it. Yeah, and you got a uh, website too. It's um, adammarkherman.com or theslammendoors.net or tsdoors. Or- or Facebook or anything. any of that social we'll, crap. We'll find you. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening to the Lake Superior Writers Podcast, the audio arm of a literary nonprofit that supports the artistic development of writers and fosters a vibrant literary arts community in northeastern Minnesota and northern Wisconsin. To become a member, donate, or learn more about our mission and upcoming events, visit lakesuperiorwriters.org and find us on Facebook. Until next time, keep reading, keep writing. <laughs>